All right, would you please uh, turn in your copy of God's Word or in the Pew Bible in front of you there uh, to our text. It's Luke chapter uh, 21. You can find it in that Black Pew Bible on page 880. And I encourage you, you will need uh, a copy of God's Word open uh, as we uh, study and as we reflect. People throughout history, as you're turning there, uh, we know this fair and well, that uh, all down through the ages, uh, virtually every culture Every cross-section of education, socioeconomics, religious sensibilities, it doesn't matter. People have considered how and when the world uh, will come to an end. Uh, as much as people, you know, theorize about how the world began, there's an abundance of theories about how it will end. Uh, we know that. Uh, some people uh, allow sentimental stories to shape that. They're, they're, I was even this week reading a, in, a, in a psychology journal about how many people believe and, and trust in the, their horoscope and uh, reading and discerning the future and uh, their hope because of the study of stars. Uh, last night I was outside. I, I, I was looking at the, uh, the, the bright moon and the stars, and I, I just was reflecting on God. I wasn't thinking much about the future. Uh, but anyway, we're uh, exploring it this morning from the vantage point of the authority, uh, the one who spoke those stars into existence, the one who spoke all things out of nothing with simply the power of his word, and that is the Lord Jesus. He is the maker. When it comes to the end of the earth, uh, Jesus does talk about it, and uh, he doesn't, uh, many people have questions surrounding it. Uh, Jesus isn't so concerned with the when, Uh, he gives a lot more attention to the how, and more importantly, the who. Uh, The who, listen for that as we read our text this morning, and then you'll also be listening for the the so what, the who and the so what. We know it's coming, uh, but it's the who and the so what. So what is our response? What is our responsibility? Uh, when we read text uh, like this. Now remember, uh, we are in the, the final week of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, his life here on earth. It was uh, a few weeks ago in chapter 19 that we talked about uh, that day, that triumphal entry. Well, we uh, and Christians know it to be Palm Sunday, this day going into Holy Week, that we remembered in chapter 19 that Jesus, they were singing Hosanna at the end of the week. A lot of people are saying crucify him. We, we know that this is an important time that Jesus, there's a great chunk of all of the Gospels devoted to this very week. And we're, we've already been unpacking it and considering it. Jesus has now made his way, uh, and as he typically does when he's teaching, he is provocative. He is controversial. Uh, he doesn't mind stepping on people's to- toes. He's very bold. Largely unpopular with the people who are the religious leaders in the temple, we've, we've already considered. He's there talking about these various things, teaching boldly. He knows that he will be accused and arrested and uh, tried and crucified. So uh, just as a reminder of, of, of where we're at in, in this, I invite you now to stand as we pick up reading. Jesus now is uh, again in the city, the holy city of Jerusalem near the temple. Verse 5 is where we pick up. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, that is Jesus, said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Verse 7, And they asked him, Well, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the day is at hand. Do not go after them. 
And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilence, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors in my names, for my name's sake. Verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand on how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair, will, not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee the mountains. And let those who are in the, inside the city depart. And let not... Those who are out in the country enter it, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Verse 25, and there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all its figs as soon as they come out and leaf for they themselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest you be here, lest your Hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may be strengthened to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Let me ask God's help. Would you join me? Father, we do ask that you would help us. Help us to hear. Help us to heed. For we want to be both hearers and doers of your word. Help us to see and perceive the who of this prophetic passage and the important uh, applications, how you want us to respond as your followers. Help those who don't yet know you. Grant them faith seeking understanding and grant me, Lord, please, some measure of clarity so that we all can see Jesus. In his name, amen. 
Over the years, uh, many of my conversations as a pastor uh, deal with uh, the future. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Nothing wrong at all. What will it be like if my condition continues to be terminal? Pastor, will I will I have enough strength? Will will the choices that I'm making uh, make an impact on the next generation? What about my career path? Uh, Will I have enough money to be secure? What is God's plan with this this painful season or these sour circumstances? And what about my kids and their rebellion? Will I be married? Will I have kids? Will I have grandkids? How long, Lord? Am I going to handle yet another season like this last one? Will I be able, Lord, with your help, I don't know, to cope with loneliness? Will my dog or my cat be in heaven? That's been a question to ask of me. If you want to know the answer, we can have lunch this week. I can tell you about what your dog's going to do. Not sure about the cat so much, but anyway, let's talk. Many of our worries, let's be honest, many of our worries center, revolve around the future. I'd like to know myself. I mean, and, and unfortunately, in my unbelief at times, I just fill up the future and whatever I imagine with speculation. And that's sometimes an expression of my unbelief. I'd rather walk by faith. I'd rather take God at his word because I know that's going to produce a peace in, in my life. I can have contentment. I know just enough about the future that I need to know that God has revealed to us so much he has not. I don't need to know anything more than what he's revealed. But what we see here, especially if we put ourselves in the shoes and in the, the original context and audience that, uh, that Jesus is speaking to, and even for those who Luke had recorded it for, it's troubling. I mean, it's, it's downright disturbing. And I, I, I'm trying to preach on you know, 30 whole verses here. I probably bit off more than I can chew. And in fact, if you find that my answer, what we cover, and there, there's still lingering questions, my answers are going to be probably directed towards, I, I did years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago, five-part series in another gospel on uh, the end of the world according to Jesus. So come find me. I can help you uh, discover that because it takes up many of these topics and some of these very words of Jesus. I'll say this at the beginning too. Good and thoughtful Christians that I respect have different interpretations of this very passage. That doesn't bother me. In my best approach that I see when we look and we read this passage, there are two endings in view. I don't mean choose your own adventure endings. If any of you are familiar with that book series, I'm talking about two endings, one in the immediate and one in the immediate. There is in view here a destruction of a city, the end of a city, the holy city of Jerusalem. And also in view, there is the end of the world. And there is a natural break for me. I see it in verse 25 that he is no longer speaking in verses 5 through 24. He's speaking about something in the near future concerning the city of Jerusalem. But beginning in verse 25, we see that he's directed his attention uh, toward the end of the world, the return of the son of God, as I see it. So those are my two headings. You see him listed there in the order of service. The end of a city. The city of Jerusalem was buzzing with people at this moment. It was Passover week. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Pilgrims had come from various places for this feast and to worship God. It would have included inevitably 
Every year, new people, adults and children, some of whom had never seen the glory of the city. Maybe they had been way out in the countryside or in different countries. And now they made their, made their way to the holy city. And they're seeing for the first time the magnificence of the temple. The temple that King Herod had built. Here, the, he points Jesus, his disciples, back to that glorious architecture, the marvelous edifice of the temple. It was even more grand uh, with uh, its golden walls than Solomon's temple, which had already been destroyed. This is King Herod's temple. All of this is going to be over, done, utterly destroyed. That's what he's saying here in verse 6 when he says, no stone will be left on top of another. And that's pretty impressive when you study the architecture of uh, the second temple. That's a staggering Statement. It's something to contemplate. They have a question. They have two questions, right? They're like, hey, well, look, in verse seven, they're like, what? Uh, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of its imminent uh, occurrence? Jesus answers only part of that, and that's the how. He's speaking, uh, he does speak later to the signs, but he never answers the question when. He says here that this will happen on a, a, an observable scale. On four different areas, four different things are going to happen. Beginning verse 8. Okay, just, just look with me if you would. He's talking about these imposters. There will be false teachers. There will be people saying, I am he. I am, I am Messiah. That was true then. It's true all the way down to the present age. To the, the David Koresh's and the Jim Jones type figures. There will be people uh, trying to, uh, to lead others astray. There will be... Verse 10, wars, kingdom and nation, ethnic groups, countries are warring against everyone. And that's continued uh, down through the ages on virtually every continent. The third thing, verse 11, uh, natural disasters. And those did happen uh, in their day. They happened, yes, of course, in our day, this very week. Then in verse 20, he picks up. Again, that very grim picture of what will transpire when Jerusalem, the whole city, is sieged and ruined. Again, important to remember, they, 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 knew, they knew Solomon. Many of them knew of Solomon's great temple. And then now they're standing before King Herod's magnificent rebuilding of that temple, which was uh, destroyed hundreds of years prior. Uh, this is a picture of God when he talks about this judgment, when he talks about um, these, the nations coming against uh, his people Israel, he is talking about bringing judgment on his own people. Not the first time that's happened. And he's doing it through the, the means of the Gentiles who are not God's chosen people to bring judgment uh, against, um, against his own people. He's going to rout them. They're going to be the instruments, the Gentiles. This is deeply disturbing. Okay, I don't, I'm trying to like come up with an analogy and the only one that's fitting, and I'm sure it occurs even in your mind when you think of an edifice being destroyed, is 9-11. But then, but then take that to a whole other level, right? Take, take, take it, imagine if you would, that and now that, you know, we, we, we've seen the pictures of it. Some of you have seen it in person. It's the, the One World or the, free, the One World Trade Tower now that's been rebuilt in its place or some call it the Freedom Tower. In Manhattan, if you go, if you go, you go there. Could you imagine if a if a person claiming to be some prophet were to stand outside, having gained a lot of notoriety and a lot of popularity, and now the you know the, the media is covering it, and he's there, and he says, "Listen, this too will be so utterly destroyed, it will be unrecognizable." That's what it's like. 
for people in their hearing to imagine what is going to happen here in this city in this, and with this temple. That's what Jesus is saying. Let me pause here. A fool might say, you're nuts, Jesus. I will see you later, if ever. But how can you discern if a prophet is true and trustworthy? Thank you. If, if, it, if it passes, if what, if what they're prophesying comes to be uh, to fruition, especially with a, with a level of specificity, you're like, wow. And that's exactly what is happening here. Folks, I, I, if Jesus is saying what he's saying, and if what he is saying comes true, that's a game changer. And then he's even saying audacious things concerning himself about being killed and being resurrected to new life. So if that doesn't happen, we're to be pitied. This is a joke. This is a waste of time. But if it is indeed true, if this, if this indeed has transpired, and I believe it has, then it is a game changer. And he is worthy of our, our attention, our allegiance, our surrender. And not just with regard to this. And indeed, it did happen. What he is describing happening in the destruction of Jerusalem did transpire. It was Vespian, the emperor, and his son, the, the, uh, the later emperor Titus, who came to the city in 70 AD of Jerusalem, and they ruined the place. It was five months of siege. It was horrible. Even the most, uh, you know, even secular historians confirm that tens of thousands of people killed. It was ruined. Josephus writes about it in great detail. And then some 60 years later, Roman Emperor Hadrian commenced with finishing the job of completely annihilating Jerusalem, much of the land of Israel as well. By 135 AD, 600,000 Jews were killed. Over 1,000 towns and villages were razed to the ground. The practice of Mosaic law was prohibited. The sacred scrolls were burned. And then what was there? The Temple Mount, what was there? Just a few leftover Roman statues. What's there today? Have you been there? I have. Looking over into the old city of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, there's a gigantic golden dome. It's a mosque. It's, it's, it's a gigantic, it's the Dome of the Rock. They're worshiping a false god there now. The disciples, hearing all of this, assume... And then Jesus did raise from the dead. So this has all transpired. And Jesus, now we know, some of them would have known as eyewitnesses as well, that Jesus predicted also not only the ruin of the city, but that he would be raised from the dead. Those things happened. We're celebrating that today, not next Sunday. We celebrate resurrection every Lord's Day. The disciples, though, in hearing this about the destruction of the city, they assume, and I understand, and we should understand it naturally, that they assume that that meant the end of the world, the end of this, the age that we know on this planet. They assume when they hear about this destruction, this is the end of the world. To credit REM, uh, you know, the end of the world as they know it. This is a mini, though, apocalypse. This is more of a type of the final destruction that is to come. It's a symptom, if you will, of a coming and closing age. But then Jesus clarifies in verse 9 of our text here that the end will not be all at once. So Jesus knows he'll be crucified, he will, he will be raised, he will ascend, he will later come again to judge the earth, and 
to establish peace, to establish a new heavens and a new earth. This will, again, either come to pass or it won't. This is not figurative speech. This is historical. These are historical matters and future predictions that either come true or they don't. There's nothing in between. Christianity is not detached from reality or rationality or history. What Jesus has said prophetically did or didn't happen. It's not figurative. It's not subjective. This is the true prophecy and we should surrender. So that leads to this next uh, end that is in view beginning in verse 24. Excuse me, verse 25. And there will be signs. He talks about all of those, not some of those signs. This is the apocalyptic language that he's using. And it's relevant. I'll read it. Let me read it for us. There will be signs, verse 25, and the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, people fainting with fear for, of, with foreboding of what is, to, is coming of the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, run and hide and cry. No, it doesn't say that. It says straighten up. Raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. But some people will. Some, some, some will have that ability by faith. And others in their shame and unbelief will lower their head. But it will be undeniable. For there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. in heaven and on earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He never tells us when this will transpire. No surprise, God the Father has, in a mysterious way, concealed it from God the Son himself. This will happen. Jesus makes clear in multiple places. This passage alone, multiple places, listen for those verbs. What does he say that we should be doing Knowing that this is coming, I want to tie in the relevance. I want us to apply this to our lives because that's what we do when we hear God's word. And part of that is that we would be alert, that we would be sober minded, that we would that we would be aware, that we would be prepared. All this, the verbs here constantly are, are pointing us to an anticipation, a preparation for the coming of Messiah. So he says, folks, look, verse 26, what does he say? What's the word? Watch. People, you should watch. You should be attentive. Verse 25. These are the things. This is, we're we're supposed to be dialed in and alert. Jesus knows how important it is that we would stay awake. The most important thing we can do is not to prepare for marriage, to prepare for parenting. It's not preparation of our education or of our career or our retirement, the most crucial and pressing thing that we could prepare for is not the next recession or the next, and yes, I mean it, sorry to be a doomsayer, the next pandemic, it is not preparation for those things, it is preparation for this day. I I didn't wake up last week or the week before or the week before saying, I need to talk about the end of the earth. This is where we're at in the gospel of Luke. And this is what God wants us to hear. And this is the day that we're to prepare for. 
the ultimate pressing matter. Here it is, verse 27. He is coming in the clouds and we can stand with assurance, with joy. We can stand before the king and know of God the Father's acceptance. Pastor Rico Tice puts it very well. I benefited one time hearing him talk about the difference, the importance of living for the dot, excuse me, living for the line and not the dot. Living for the line and not the dot. Let me explain. The dot represents this present life. Okay? That's all it is. It's a dot. And it's meant to be enjoyed. I, I, I don't think you would deny that. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to enjoy this life like most people I know and you. But this is not, we're living in this, but we're not living for this dot. We're living for the line that extends from that dot into eternity. And that's where all of us will reside ultimately, either in the condemnation of hell or I, or in the joy of our salvation in the presence of the Almighty in heaven, the new heaven, the new earth. That's the line. This life is a dot. Psalm 103 says, you know our frame. We are but dust as for man. His days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord from everlasting to everlasting is on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. The dot, my friend, is life here. It is short. It's like a breath. James 4 says it's like a morning mist. It is gone. Some of you, some of you, teenagers, young 20-somethings, you think that that's forever. Your life is short. Everyone's is. We are eternal beings. We are meant for the line. We live here, but we live for there. So what should we do? We will be resurrected someday. We will experience eternal rest and peace, a wedding feast that's more amazing than anything we've ever observed here. That's what Jesus has gone to prepare So here, let's look at the the implications and the applications, I think, of this. Here's what I would say. All of this in view, right? For them, it was some of it was the, the destruction that would have happened in the next generation. For us, we don't know when it happens, but we're saying the end of the world. This is Jesus' words, not mine. How would we how would we be wise to prepare? Some application. Number one, we should be sober. What does that mean? You don't need an explanation. Well, how can you, you don't need an explanation. You know when you're not sober-minded. And there's a variety of ways to accomplish that problem. He's saying in verse 34, you need to be not given over to dissipation, which is that excessiveness or the overindulgence of whatever fill in the blank might be. He's saying, listen, that's just, that's just entertainment. That's just distraction. That's just shallow. That's, that's all the ways that we try to escape reality. Also, for those of you who say, well, that's not my problem. Okay, I'm glad. But here's the other one. 
or being weighed down, look at verse 34 again, with the cares of the world. So you might be trying to escape reality through some means of entertainment or overindulgence, or you might be trying to control your future, which is called anxiety. And both of those are not wise. So what should we do? Well, let's continue. Look at verse 9. We should be cool. Some of you are trying really hard to be cool and it's not working maybe, but I'm not talking about that kind of cool. Uh, I'm talking about calm, collected, not, 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 not over, overrun with emotion, but cool. We are not alarmed. He's saying, when these, don't be terrified, verse 9 says, of these things. Keep your cool. That was for the destruction of the city, but I think that it applies to us as well because uh, we should watch for ourselves and be ready. We should be thinking about the cares We shouldn't be consumed with the cares and anxieties of this world. It's easy to do that, though, isn't it? We we, we get worked up. I get worked up. To be anxious and fearful, it's it's real easy, by the way, especially if you read the the news more than you read God's word. It's easy to be anxious and, and it's easy to be fearful when all you think about is safety and personal preservation instead of a bigger story about an age to come. Third thing I would say by way of application in response to this is be not surprised when it's hard for you as a follower of Christ. All of us, for everyone, life is hard in some measure. It is. We're we're living in the effects of the fall, a cursed world. Everyone dies. Everyone suffers in a variety of ways. It will be hard As a follower, Jesus is saying there's going to be, especially for those who were in that time, in in and around the destruction of Jerusalem, there will be tremendous pain, trials, conflict, afflictions. And he says, but they will pass. Some of the hardships that they're going to face and some of the rejection that you're going to face and have faced in life, I'm venturing to guess if you're like me, is coming precisely because you are a follower of Jesus. Some of that will come even to our shock. I'm sure if you were to read it carefully from Jesus is saying, beginning in verse 12 through 17, your own family, your own friends. Verse 12, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. You will be hated. You will be persecuted. You will be misunderstood. Uh, misunderstood. Sometimes, like I said, precisely because you are. Not, not in spite of, but in light of the fact that you're a follower of Christ. Sometimes that hatred, he's saying, be, be, be alert, be awake, be ready. Because sometimes people will grow cold. Sometimes the hatred of the world and the violence and the tragedy has a way of bringing things into focus, doesn't it? Last Lord's Day, my fellow PCA pastor, Chad Scruggs, stood up at Covenant Presbyterian Church on the Lord's Day. He's a man like me, 
Four children, three sons and a daughter. He had no idea that the next day, the very next morning, this past Monday, someone would come in and start to shoot up their church and school, including his own nine-year-old daughter. I want to say a few things and I want to be clear and I want to be careful. So please do not hear what I'm not saying. And if you're confused and you're upset with what I'm about to say, I would love an opportunity to talk. The national news and the national conversation is so politicized. It is so polarized right now. I'm just sad. I, 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 I want to grieve and, and I want to pray. At this moment, and we will in a moment. We're going to pray for them. But I also want to use this as hopefully a teaching moment for how we should live. This is an in-family in kind of talk here. What our posture should be as Christians, as followers of Christ in this cultural moment and in our context. A friend of mine this week, he is not a follower of Christ, not yet. He's, he's actually visited our church. He wrote to me this text. Like many Americans, he's watching the news and he writes this to me. If the shooter targeted a Jewish school, if the transgendered shooter targeted a Jewish school, it would be a hate crime. If the transgendered shooter had targeted a Muslim school, it would be a hate crime. Why are we not calling this a hate crime when a transgendered shooter targeted a Christian school? Now, how do you respond to that? What does that stir up inside of you? What are you inclined or tempted to say in response? Here's how I responded. And I am not saying this is the right way. Okay? There's a better way and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Here's how I responded. It's okay. Okay. It's okay, my friend. We know that the media and our culture may be biased against Christians, and I'm 100% okay with that. Jesus predicted it, and the apostle Peter tells us in God's word, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, I don't know the motivation. I haven't read the manifesto. I don't know that I want to. I don't know that I need to. But let's just imagine that because of our views, because of our ethics, because of our moral convictions and our commitment to Christ, that more stuff like this is coming. What are we going to do? Well, for one, 
It won't be anything probably like what our brothers and sisters in other countries that are dominated with communism and Muslim rule who suffer all kinds of persecution unimaginable as followers of Christ and trying to live as the church there. Well, we're going to advocate for justice, for fairness. We live in a constitutional democracy. Yes. But without revival, we are shrinking. We are shrinking as followers of Christ in the United States, in this culture. We, we may lose more freedom. We will be dismissed. We will be misunderstood. We might be hated. We may very well be targeted. Jesus says here, let's read again the text. I think it's relevant. Verse 12, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. And then what does he say in verse 13? What are we to do with that? How are we to view that? What is our posture? This will be, verse 13, your opportunity to bear witness. This is our opportunity to be a people of civility and humility and love and patience and kindness and gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit. This is how I continued in my text to my friend. I quoted from 1 Peter chapter 3. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, Peter says, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord and as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And I said this with my reply to him in, that, in the context of that verse. I said, it's okay. I'm so glad to be a follower of Christ Even when we experience loss and death, we grieve as a people who have hope. Jesus told us that this world would hate us, even at times for doing the right thing. Good things. My reward is with the king and his future kingdom. I have hope of forgiveness. I have a hope of a future. I have hope that because Jesus is risen from the grave, I too will have a resurrected body someday. Is that your hope? Is that your hope? Jesus is coming back to judge the earth and to end all evil. Okay, that's something that screaming and politics and uh, that this is this is really going to this is going to do it. He is coming back to free our own bodies from the effects and the presence of sin. Are you ready to stand? Well, the best way to do that would be in verse 28 when he talks about this. And then these things begin to take place. Straighten up, raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. Now, I want to close with what I think is a much better response to that type of concern and the the elicitation of fear, which is what a lot of news does in this culture. And, and, And maybe my friend, I don't know his motivation in highlighting this for me. Maybe he cares about me, but the But the right answer, a beautiful answer, comes from a friend of mine, Perry. He was reflecting on this. The reason why, some of you have met Perry. He's a missionary uh, in Europe. 
That's a place that's even more secular. It's even more hostile uh, to uh, Christian beliefs. And he loves living there for Jesus and his wife. They are originally from Nashville. They were married at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville. They've walked the halls. They know the staff members there. Okay, this is not a cross the pond kind of response, although it is. And it gives you some insight on how we might be wise to live as followers of Christ in this culture. And this is what Perry writes. And it was so helpful for me. He says that at the same time, we are the ones who are called to lay down our lives in loving witness to Christ. Our identity as Christians is first rooted in the cross and not our constitution. Let me say that again. Our identity as Christians is first rooted in the cross, not the constitution. This is where the opportunity arises, Perry writes. We are redeemed. He says to us, you are mine. We belong to him and we have been freed from a life of meaningless self-indulgence to love those who are the farthest culturally from us. This is what characterized Jesus' life and ministry. He took the heat for us in his public ministry all the way to the cross. But the entire time he heard the loving voice of his father speaking to him. You are mine. You are my beloved. I am pleased with you. I believe, Perry writes, this is our time to take heat for loving those around us in radical ways. There is no need to seek revenge or ultimate blame for this profound loss, but to seek opportunities to love. Please pray with me. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Would you forgive us this day the times that we are fearful, the times that we're forgetful. We can be self-centered and short-sighted. I know I can. Father, have mercy on us. Please come back. Please. And make us strong and discerning as we wait. Lord, have mercy on our world. 2023 is not off to a great start. There have been losses and changes and headaches and heartaches. There's been wars Storms, even tornadoes this very week. Please have mercy. Comfort people. This past week, we are especially grieved, Lord, for what we hear and see with our sister PCA Church in Nashville. Their community, Lord, you know how badly they are rocked. This school, parents, teachers, faculty, others, unimaginable pain, grief, loss. We just, they don't have words. We don't have words. Have mercy, Lord. Comfort those who grieve, for those who fear. We know we need it, Lord. There are many evils in the world. And we watch, Lord, we're sad because we watch the news and we see people who are trying in vain to overcome evil with evil. Would you please protect others and restrain that evil? Lord, we need you to come back and usher in justice and mercy and peace. Lord, we remember those who are feeling anxious, who don't want to be. They're others who are, are overwhelmed by finances and relationships and medical burdens and loneliness. Lord, please comfort them. And Lord, I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you, God, for answered prayer even this week in Roberta Carmichael's life that you've brought healing to her kidneys. Thank you. Tangible 
answer, Lord, mercifully. Thank you for the beautiful wedding, the celebration that we had yesterday. We do ask your blessing on the Leightons. Be with Matt and Camille as they transition. Help their family. Again, we pray for those who grieve and mourn. Help them find the peace that is in Christ. Help us to be ambassadors of such peace and grace and truth to responsibly, lovingly, humbly share our hope of Christ. Help us to be a people who fulfill our purpose, Lord, as image bearers and worship and worship of you and reflecting on you, not just consuming things, but soberly, faithfully enjoying the gifts that you've given us. Fill us with faith. May we exercise it. Lord, you are our maker and our judge. And yet you have provided a way through a redeemer in whose name we pray, King Jesus. Praying together as he taught his disciples, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us.